0: Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. If you've just downloaded this podcast, thank you. We're reading from John chapter 5. Sometime later, verse 1, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. I'll just throw in a little fun little fact here. Uh, Did you notice that it's in in the present tense there? There is in, there is, not there was, but there is a sheep gate. And uh, just a little Bible fact or bit of fun is that uh, if you go to a secular university, they will teach you that the New Testament, the stories of Jesus were written many, many years afterwards. Maybe even a century or so later. And so so their accuracy, you know, cannot be relied upon. But what's interesting is the present tense. There is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool. And uh, whatever there was in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. And so what's just a little fact for you is that there's a little bit of evidence that these Words of Jesus were recorded before 70 AD when places like this pool would have been destroyed. Okay. It's quite good that. So there is a sheep gate, a pool called Bethesda. Bethesda means uh, the house of mercy, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Verse 3. Here... A great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Then verse 5. One who was there had been an invalid, been sick for 38 years. When Jesus, verse 6, saw him lying there, and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, verse 7, the invalid, the sick man replied. I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred. There was a, an idea there that uh, in some of the versions in verse 4 refers to this, that an angel would come down every now and then and stir the waters. Uh, we don't know if that ever happened. What we know is that that's what they believed happened. I'll just So just to be clear on that, there is no, there's no sure sense that an angel ever did come down and stir this water. But they believed that this happened, and so they were waiting by this pool. Sir, verse 7, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once, immediately, immediately, the man was cured. He picked up his mat. And walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. It's the old Jewish Saturday. And so the Jews said to the man who'd been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus Who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him and he said to them, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. And the title of my uh, message today is lucky dip. (laughs) Lucky dip. The man at the pool was waiting for a lucky dip, a lucky break. One thing that he wasn't waiting for is he wasn't waiting for Jesus. But he was waiting for a chance of a lifetime to climb down into this pool That he believed was going to cure him of his problems. I've thought of a few things that we can learn from this passage here today. And I trust in God's name that some of these words will be carried by the Spirit right into your heart. The first thing we discover in this story is that life can be pretty lame and unfair. Life can be pretty lame and unfair. The Bible says in the first few verses of this story, that all of the characters were around the pool, the blind, the the ill, the disabled, those who weren't able to, you know, walk. We're all gathered around this pool waiting for this amazing moment when they would be able to somehow get in the water and get some sort of magic cure. I think there's two things I want to just draw out, just draw out of that little thought there. First of all, I don't know whether you've lived long enough in this world to know that we all are a bit like the people around that pool. No matter how successful everyone thinks you are, no matter how wonderful your CV, you know, looks, no matter what the perception is of you, you'll know that many times in your life, you are a mask wearing, uh, kind of person. Lying down among other mask wearing people who also are finding life and circumstances a bit lame. We all have uh, these incredible, uh, struggles in life. We all have this, this, Amazing sense of of there being challenges. And in this story, here was someone who had been by this pool for 38 years. And after 38 years of a challenge, he was waiting for a lucky break. But here's what happened, because he tells this to Jesus. Every time the water was stirred. And like I said before, we don't know if this was really happening or not. Every time the water was stirred, the man tried to get into the water. But he was paralyzed. And so he had to seek help from others. Oh, will you, will you help me? To get into the water. But no one would help him. And I think life can be like that too. Not only lame, but also as far as we are concerned, deeply unfair. How come I've been here for 38 years and I haven't as yet had my break Because every time something seems to be stirring and I think now's the time for me someone else gets in there first. Can you understand what I'm talking about? Someone else gets in there first and there could come a deep a resentment on the inside of us. God, what on earth is happening here? This man by the pool, he believed in God. He believed in God. He believed in the work of an angel in the pool. So he wasn't an atheist. We don't know what state his heart was in, but what we do know was he was a believer in God, and yet being a believer in God, and seeking that lucky break, and it hadn't come except it had come for someone else and he had to watch it every time. Let me ask you this morning, and that's why I, I just feel a, like a prophetic sense of this. Maybe there are people and you've been waiting, you're just, you're just waiting for that, for that big break. And it hasn't come. And it's been 38 years now, or whatever years you want to put on it. 3.8 38 and then some years, whatever number you want to put on it. Waiting for the lucky break. Waiting for your lucky dip. And it hasn't come, except it's come for other people. What might that be? You know, at her work. Why, why haven't I progressed? What are they doing giving the promotion to Sheila? Is there a God in heaven? How come she's the manager? and I'm not what's going on what's going on what's he doing getting married well I'm not married look at him what's going on I'm much nicer than him I've been praying more than him how come this one in the church has got all these wonderful testimonies. God's doing this and God's doing that. They just seem to pray and everything happens for them. And here I am, by the pool, waiting for my big moment. And it hasn't come. It hasn't come. Life's unfair. What's going on? How come I've not got in the water yet? How come I'm sitting here dry? And we know the man had a little bit of resentment because he doesn't say, Oh, I've not got in yet. He says, There's no one to help me get in. In other words, it's someone else's fault this. It's not that I've not got in. It's just that there's been no one to help me. I haven't got the right connections. I, I've not had my lucky break. We're soon, of course, to be bombarded with a brand new series of X Factor. Where young hopefuls of eight years old or whatever will say, I've waited all my life for this. Or <laughs> well, 18, whoever they are. Oh, I've been waiting all my life for this. And there's people 52 at home going, be quiet, sweetheart. This means everything. To, it's my big break. The other thing that gets broken is their heart. How many of you know there's only ever one winner? There's thousands of them brought onto a platform to be laughed at by millionaires. Anyway, I'll get off that. <laughs> so let's, let's look at these people around the pool and say, maybe some of them look a bit like me. Maybe some of them look a bit like you. Not very well. Not quite all that we seem. And waiting to, to that big moment when it's all going to change. If those of you are interested in being used by God, that big moment when I'm going to preach to thousands of thousands of people. I remember going to one place in South America where they gave me an interpreter whose English wasn't so good. Now, to be fair, it was a lot better than my Portuguese. But I remember we were in the car in the middle of the night. And I said, they, t- they give me these interpreters. They're just out of school. They know a little bit of English. It must be absolutely terrifying for them. And we were driving. And after all the small talk, which is very small when you have small in you know, language, I said, so tell me, where are we going? Which, wh- wh- what's this church that I'm going to preach at? She said, Oh, it's very nice. Oh, I said, Oh, how many people are there? Oh, she said, you know, oh, two, two thousand. I thought, oh, wow, two thousand. Thought about my website, you know, thought about my blog. Two thousand. Whoa. Can someone take a picture? And then, a minute later, she goes, oh, sorry, sorry, my English, not good, 200, 200. <laughs> and when we got there, it was like any old church in the middle of the week. It was only, it was only 100 midweek. Waiting for the big break. When's God going to use me? When am I going to get in the water? So I think this man has a lot to tell us of what happens. I want to say what we discover is that meeting Jesus alone, meeting with God alone, is the only solution to this problem. Actually, a kind of a happy ending to the story would have been that the good Samaritan, you remember him, happened to walk by. Right? You remember this? Imagine putting these stories together a minute. A good ending to the story would have been the good Samaritan who just put this man in the inn and then he decided to go to Jerusalem, you know, for the feast. Went over to the pool of Bethesda, saw the guy and the same mercy, you know, came upon him and he picks up the man and takes him into the pool. That would have been a happy ending. But there's something not very satisfying even about that. We don't know what was going on in that pool, but whatever was going on, I'm going to call it, forgive this phrase, but I'm going to call it a charismatic experience. Some sort of Holy Spirit activity, some sort of maybe angelic activity, exciting, worth going to church for to see that. Let me say something really careful, but I hope I hope that you catch it. We believe in the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit for today. It's wonderful to have an encounter with a prophet, a modern day prophet. It's wonderful to have an encounter and a prayer time with someone powerfully used in the gift of healing. But let's be really clear. Only a meeting with God satisfies. It's only God who will satisfy you. And sometimes people have all sorts of charismatic experiences. And let me just... I just want to be really clear so I'm not misunderstood. I believe they're real. But somehow, their heart is not changed. I've learned over the years... Just because someone has an experience with God does not mean it changes their heart. I think some preachers have sold an untruth actually, but they haven't meant to. That if you just get an experience with God, some sort of encounter with God, you'll be changed. Well, I believe that's probably half true. But when I read my Bible... I see that Elijah called down the fire of God, and then in the next chapter, he's depressed. I read in my Bible that Moses met with God face to face. But then he lost his temper and struck a rock with rage. You see, so there needs to be more than just an experience with God. There must be a true face-to-face encounter with the love of Jesus Christ. That's more than just, I felt a wind around me today. Boy, we could crank these up to a hundred and you'd feel that. One time uh, we were planting a church where there was no heat. And we got these giant gas cannons. And as people walked in, they fired. Fire at them. I tell you what, people have walked down and said, oh, the fire fell today. It was gas. There's all sorts of experiences people can have. And we believe in them. We promote them. We engage with them. We move in faith to see them occur. But that's not the same as meeting with God. And you can have a meeting with God where there are no bells and no whistles and no smoke and no flame and no wind. But you have met with God. One time I was in a, I think it may have been an Anglican church down near Exeter. And a man came to pray with me, an older man. Who was actually just—he just joined our church at that time, actually—but I didn't know him terribly well. But he came to pray for me. Now, this man wasn't a—he wasn't a, uh, a preacher. He wasn't a minister. He had no sort of drama about him. He had no—he had no charisma about him, as we would understand it. He didn't have the X factor. But as he prayed with me, one. One afternoon, surrounded by stained glass windows, I can sort of see I can sort of see it now. It felt like God himself was standing there next to me. And I received no strange feeling in my feet. I didn 't fall down and have three ushers try to catch me. I remember one time. When you're a big bloke, it's rather funny. I remember one time falling, and as the ushers catched me as I hit the floor, I heard the pastor say, well done. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Well done. Thanks. I I suppose they did do it well. It's not a magic pool we need. It's God. It's not a revival we need even. It's God. It's not extra charismatic gifts we need. It's God. All these other things are really good. I I want a revival. Let's have the gifts of the Spirit. But what we really need is Jesus standing there talking to you and me. That's what we need. The people would leave a meeting like this and say, no, wasn't brother so-and-so ministering strong today? But couldn't you feel the presence of Christ? Wasn't Christ among us? Wasn't Jesus standing in that upper room today? That's, that's what we want. Because that's what really does change lives. Not a lucky break. You don't need a lucky break. You need Christ standing with you, who just by virtue of his presence fulfills those needs with or without a trip to the pool. A meeting with God alone ends this. We see that not everyone is delighted. Verse 10 picks up the story that the man picked up his mat On the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day. And because it didn't fit in with the religious ideas of the Pharisees, all manner of trouble began. Some of you have learned already that your conversion to Christianity has not been received with open arms by your work colleagues. It's not even been received with open arms necessarily. By religious people that you know, who perhaps think that you're going a bit too far, you know, showing up every week. They don't know the half of it, do they? They don't know the half of it. No, I, I think you're going a bit too far with this. And anyway, there are rules. One should not get healed on the Sabbath. I once went to work when I was working in the caves years ago and I had a fellow colleague there who was a determined atheist but a really good friend of mine. We got on really well. He was into vampires and things like that but somehow we managed to get on. One time he said, I'm going away on holiday. Could I feed his cats in his home? So I said, Oh sure, he gave me the key and in I went and wow big I won't tell you what was on the wall, but anyway, I felt like I was going into the chamber of horrors going in there. But we got on really well. But I tried to lead him to the Lord, you know, and uh so I one time I, I was in this extraordinary meeting where there was incredible encounters with God. This was in our in our house group, actually, in Torquay. And God just powerfully moved in our in our house group. We were overcome with joy and with the presence of God. One lady was literally carried out of the house like a corpse to her car. That's a good meeting, isn't it? I don't know how she drove home, but anyway, that's what happened. So I came to tell him the next day, I was so excited about it, you know. But immediately he said to me, well, why would God do that? Suddenly he he was an expert on what God did and didn't do and he joined the church police determining what was God and what, and what wasn't. And he wasn't even a Christian. What we find is that people are not always delighted for us when these wonderful things happen. So we need to have some wisdom, don't we, about with whom to share. And just finally, number four here, obeying God fully keeps us upright. When Jesus found him again in verse 14 he says, see you are well again but stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Just to be, be very clear I don't think what Jesus is saying to him is this, that the reason you are ill is because you were a sinner. I don't think that's true at all. But what Jesus is saying to him is this, that actually this miraculous occurrence is just the beginning of a journey you're now going to take with God. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. But if you want to stay upright, now you're going to have to obey the word of God. And we find this true as well in our modern day, where people will have all manner of Encounters with God. But that's not really the credential of a life flowing with Christ's abundancy. The credential for a life flowing with Christ's abundancy is how much obedience to God's word is in my heart. Not how many angels have I seen this week? Not how many experiences have I had? Not how much, uh, uh, a charismatic experience is in my CV. Because really that, that really doesn't mean anything compared to does God really have my heart? Not have I seen this or that? Not did Brother Dingeling pray with me in 1992. But how much of God's Word Is really in my heart. How much obedience to God. Is going on. In my life. We sang earlier today in this. Worship service here in Cambridge. All that I adore. Is in you. And sometimes when I sing that. Inside I think oh God. Let that be true of me. That all that I adore. Would be in you. It wasn't the experience with God that really mattered. Wonderful though it was, it was the fact that the man got up and followed Jesus. That's what really matters. It's not about the 38 years around the pool. It's not about if other people are getting a lucky break and you're not. It's all about, Lord, whether I get my lucky break or not, whether I get my promotion or not, whether I get married or not, whether I get this house or not, whether I get this car or not, I'm, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to let the word of Christ dwell in me richly. And that keeps us upright. Of course, I've Chosen a figure of speech, a pun. The man stood up. But today when we think of someone who is upright, we think of someone who is holy, separate, righteous, upright. There are no shortcuts to following him. We have to obey his word. So I wanted to deliver this thought to us today. Maybe in your life, you are pouring all of your mental and emotional resources into getting a lucky break. Or all of your mental and emotional, spiritual resources into just hoping that someone, one day, It's going to help you to get where you think you have to be. I want to remind you in this story, the man doesn't get wet. He spent 38 years, well, we don't know how long he was by the pool, do we? But he spent a long time hoping to get wet. But that's not what God had for him. And how many people listening to me now on the internet and here today, their dream and goal is just not God's goal. And as much as we aspire to go to this certain place in our lives, by a certain time, all the way through we are facing the God who locks the door and says, no, 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 no. Because he's cruel, never. Because he's got some other place for us to be. At some other time. With some other people. That he wants to connect us with. I want to thank God for every time he's locked a door on me. Can you say amen? Amen. Every time I wanted to go through a door and he closed it. Thank God for every temporary traffic light that said stop. Even when I'm there revving away. Come on. By the way, guys, let me assure you of this. Flashing your lights... It just don't work. I flash and flash. Come on, come on, come on, flash. Make it change. It don't. The man never got to the pool. And I just want to say, maybe by the Holy Spirit today, that the pool that maybe you think you're going to, you're not not going there. Can you be satisfied in the presence of God? Can Can you be satisfied, not with the, the big break. But just with God. Just with God. Let me finish with this thought. If you think you have ambitions. If you think you have godly aspirations. Let us consider. Just, just to finish. The apostle Paul. Whose heart's desire was to plant churches in every city. the world, whose heart's desire despite all his frailties, as we looked at this week in our studies, despite all of his frailties and fears and inadequacies, his desire, his pool, if you like, was to go plant churches all over the world, preach the gospel all over the world. Can you just imagine what he would have felt the fifth, sixth, seventh time he was thrown in prison? Sometimes stayed there for months. God, what are you doing? Get me out of here! Or like Joseph, called by God to be the Prime Minister of the world, but spending his time in a jail. What a waste of time it is here in this jail. Oh, I should be The prime minister by now, what am I doing in a jail? And even he says to a guy, get me out of here. And the man forgets him. Exactly the same story, is he? Hear the word of the Lord today. A life spent in devotion to God is not a wasted life. And there are no wasted days. There are no wasted days in one of God's jails. There are no wasted days in one of God's, standing behind one of God's temporary traffic lights. And sometimes I think we need to kneel down and say, God, this pool, this place, this thing I want to achieve, Lord, is it, is it, is it what you want? Is it what, is it really what you want? And sometimes, let me tell you, you, you can't know the answer. You can't know what will happen in the future. But you can. In your lameness. In your disability. Just allow Christ to come and stand next to you. But be sure to do everything he tells you. I deliver this prophetic word today. That the lucky dip. The lucky break. That maybe you've been seeking. Some of you are never going to get your feet wet. It won't come to pass. Not because God is nasty. But because he's going to do something else. Can you say, Lord, I surrender completely to your will. Whatever you want for me, that's what's best. Whatever you're doing, that's what I want to do. And as Jesus walks in to this first century hospital, by the way. Heals one man and walks out. The passage continues and you can read it in John 5. He says, I'm only doing what I see my father doing. I only say what my father gives me to say. May that be true of us. That at the end of our lives we can say, I only did what the father gave me to do and I only said what the father gave me to say that was me when you're lame when you're angry it's a rotten place to be we've all been there when you're mask wearing and struggling we've all been there so there's no judgment today not from me now, I've been around that pool many times. But the presence of Jesus has to be enough. The fact that God is still with me has to be enough. The fact that God knows where I live, knows what I need, it has to be enough. This is what the Holy Spirit says to you Eyes off the pool